0: In public health, it's like, oh, well, you know, these communities are dying from, and a whole scroll gets pulled out, and that's just the quote-unquote way it is, right? Instead of actually looking at some of the historical aspects um, in this country around exclusion and, you know, racism that has actually led us here. So all that to say is when the George Floyd murder happened and there was pretty much the the global outcry, I really had a state of reckoning. Because for me, you know, once again, Kara was a, a Black man. And I never really used my platform to kind of assert the need to really kind of reassess and to tackle the problems when it relates to health inequities and the links to kind of racism and things of that nature. And so for me as a leader, it was a reckoning around how I show up and authenticity, right? And so that year, 2020, was pretty substantial for me. And there's some links around like what happened in the year before, around literally a mountaintop experience that helped me to start translating. How I showed up, not only for myself, but for what I was beginning with Onboard Health.
1: Welcome to the Inon Health podcast. I'm your host Kapama Yalpala, and I go by KP. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Inon Health. In today's episode, I speak with Andre Blackman. Andre is a strategist, ecosystem builder, and entrepreneur working in public health and social innovation. He is the founder and CEO of Onboard Health. Onboard Health is a specialized executive search and advisory firm focused on creating a more inclusive healthcare industry. He is dedicated to building the future of healthcare through the lens of intentional efforts that support both health equity and diversity, equity, and inclusion. His work and insights have been featured in Fortune, Forbes, NPR, and US News and World Report. In 2020, he was named a Fortune magazine, 40 Under 40 in Healthcare. In today's conversation, we cover Andre's personal and career journey. We dig into his views of DEI and what is required to sustain efforts to build a more equitable health system in the US. I hope you enjoy this insightful conversation as much as I did. Well, I am so pleased to have on the In On Health podcast today, my great friend, Andre Blackman, founder, CEO of Onboard Health. Um, Since I know you like this, I can say you've got, I would say, an eclectic background. So you guys are going to get to know this about Andre, but you know, when he's not doing health equity work, he's thinking about superheroes and his own kind of universe he's trying to create in the fiction world. So this is someone with a lot of different gifts that uh, I'm pleased uh, for him to share with us today. So let's just start with the basics. Tell everyone about your background. I mean, you didn't really start in public health, but really you wanted to be a rocket scientist at the beginning of this whole thing. So how do we get from rocket science to public health?
0: (laughs) That's a fantastic question, KP. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, growing up uh, was definitely, you know, into a lot of like STEM work, you know, my mom really helped to make sure that I was supported with chemistry sets, uh, making sure I didn't blow up, you know, the apartment and things of that nature too, (laughs) but was really just curious about how things were built, how things worked. Um, And so, you know, in high school, just had just amazing opportunities, especially growing up in the Washington DC area. Um, You know, when I was probably around 15, I got enrolled in the science and engineering apprentice program. Um, at George Washington University. and this was for kind of gifted and underrepresented students who are really interested in how to uh, build the future. And so had opportunities to have summer internships at Walter Reed, uh, where I did forensic toxicology, um, also the, um, the Naval Research Lab, where you know, I learned about um, you, know, kind of plating naval vessels um, and all those kind of different things as well. Um, and then finally, in, in my senior year of high school, um, I had an internship at NASA Goddard um, in Greenbelt, Maryland, and that's where I was really fascinated with aerospace engineering, wanted to work, um, you know, on the International Space Station, all those kind of good things. went to University of Maryland College Park, which had an amazing aerospace engineering um, program, but then I took a course on public health, and during this elective course, I learned that tuberculosis was kind of um, making a comeback, adversely affecting specifically uh, the African American community, and that's when my kind of engineering brain was like, "Huh, didn't we eradicate tuberculosis like five thousand years ago? Like, why is that a thing now? But more, more importantly, why is that affecting this community in particular?" And that's what really kind of you know helped me to make this transition into public health, where I realized and it's probably more effective to prevent large groups of people from getting sick than treating them one by one. Um, and so that's why I kind of skipped over kind of medicine and that
1: sort of thing too. Right. That's amazing. So I want to I want to put a pin in that before we jump into the public health side but talk about heritage cuz for black and brown folks, many of us in the US have come from different backgrounds and different heritages. So I think it's really important for people to know that side of your story. So can you tell folks about your heritage, where you're from, like and those elements?
0: Absolutely.
1: I am Half Jamaican, half
0: Trinidadian, so full on Caribbean island life <laughs> and energy there, and so that's that's my heritage. So first gen I'm over here, and just learned a lot from my parents around hard work and discipline and focus, but also you know that that's
1: where I got a lot of my entrepreneurial vibe um, as well. That's amazing, yeah. And I mean, I think for a lot of our Black and Brown folks who are working in health equity and DEI and our Americans, many of us have those those kind of linkages to somewhere, whether it's the Caribbean or Latin America, somewhere else. And I think that's, um, when you look at how the the U.S. looks demographically. And we'll get more into this on the other side of when we talk about onboard, but those things matter, right? It's not, you know, I think there's actually a, a lot of diversity within the black and brown or typically now, nowadays BIPOC is the term being used, populations, and the people who are working in the field. And I think sometimes that gets glossed over, but you know, we have a lot of rich and diverse experience sets amongst our black and brown folks who are working in the field that don't just, you know, they don't just include US heritage, but also stretch into other places. So you have this background, you kind of move from being more of a kind of traditional STEM and kind of science-oriented person. And then you start thinking about you know, the elements of public health science and community impact. So so tell us about your experience doing your MPH and, you know, how that then led you into a, a career in this field. Yeah. I mean, you know,
0: once once that elective that I took that started me asking questions, right? As as we do, as especially like engineers and scientists, like, why? Why is this a thing? And it just kept coming up for me. And it just, I was fortunate enough to have amazing professors at Maryland that, you know, said like, okay, if you really want to know, let's go down the rabbit hole. You know, Dr. Donna Howard was just pivotal um, in me understanding a lot of, you know, concepts around health inequities and community health. Um, Dr. Bradley Bokaloo, you know, also kind of helped me to explore HIV and AIDS and how that, you know, was adversely affecting various communities. Um, You know, and so, you know, just kind of that exploration helped me to start reverse engineering some questions around the mechanics and the frameworks of public health. Um, And, you know, it it was very, you know, disappointing, to be completely honest with you. Um, You know, kind of, you know, starting to immerse myself in various campaigns and programs um, via the CDC and other kind of initiatives, there was always this kind of missing piece around sustainability for me.
1: Well, it's interesting you bring that up, because even now, as we talk about health equity, a lot of the framework is project oriented, right? People think about implementing health equity projects, but really health equity, what the aspiration is reducing disparities in our system sustainably so that everybody can achieve their maximum health and wellness and be a productive member in our society. And I think it's often not framed that way. So I think, you know, the sustainability question you've brought up, that was a disappointment to you that, look, these programs are, are built to bridge the gaps. And then all of a sudden they start working and then they go away. It's This is probably one of our deepest chronic problems in our health system today, that these reducing disparities, solving these public health issues always seem to be a project. And for whatever reason, our system can't internalize reducing disparities and public health science as systemic and continually invested in. So I hear you on that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you're right. I mean, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's not new. Because unfortunately, there are other factors and, you know, players um, when it comes to health and healthcare that, you know, essentially, you know, are invested in, you know, a specific engine, right? And kind of like a cyclical aspect. Um, and, And I got to learn more about that as I went along. But essentially, that frustration point for me led me down the there has to be some other ways concept, right? And that's when I started my journey around innovation, technology, and actually started writing. The Pulse and Signal blog, this is probably back in 2007 is when I first started looking at the impact of technology, media, and this is when social media, which is getting hot, that was the year that Twitter launched as, like, as an audio-only app, I believe, or a text-based, um, sorry, a text-based app. Um, and then, you know, it was one of the early kind of adopters there as well. And so that's what started my journey down innovation is kind of saying, how else can we approach this, right, in, in some new um, novel um, and more sustainable
1: ways? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's clear, you know, for people that may know Andre, you know, in the industry or listening to this podcast, I think we all know, you know, you have a real gift around, you know, not just ecosystem building, but also communication. Right. So it sounds like before we get into onboard health, can you talk about some of the different initiatives you were involved in? You've mentioned a couple campaigns before then founding onboard health. We'll talk about in a minute.
0: Absolutely, KP. Um, and so like you mentioned, you know, strategic communications, that was that was my jam, right? Working in digital PR, um, you know, working on, you know, kind of communication projects for the CDC and, you know, in, in the DC area, right? You know, being, you know, among those kind of consulting organizations and things of that nature too that were contracted for the federal government was really big. And so being able to work on some federal health kind of projects as well as, you know, things like Katie Couric's project and campaign around colorectal cancer as you know her her husband jay passed away from colorectal cancer and so you know i I think like her foundation was one of the things that i worked on around social marketing and that was kind of the, the the kind of upswing of social marketing which is not social media marketing but actually you know how do we build you know strategic communications into health behavior change and things of that nature too so you know kind of being able to work on those kind of projects and you know, essentially uh, another one, um, you know, a couple of years into my career was the I Know campaign, another CDC sponsored initiative that was focused on African-Americans 18 to 24 to talk about, you know, communicating with your partner around their status, particularly around HIV mm-hmm. as well. And so, you know, that really was probably the most, one of the most substantial campaigns that I worked on that opened my eyes up to the next layer of things right around sustainability right and 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 kind of communications and but also oftentimes uh, cultural awareness and tone deafness uh, when it came to these multi-million dollar campaigns and so that was kind of the next layer but you know communication was definitely something where for me i was like okay if we have the data and we have the communities and the audiences that we want to communicate to then it should be fairly easy to translate you know the insights and information so that we can change behavior KP, you and I both know it's not that simple. (laughs) And
1: that's what they say, the life of an entrepreneur, you know, ignorance is bliss. When we start, we're like, ah, it's so clear to us, you know, and then as you go down the rabbit hole, you realize there's a lot of issues down there that you got to unpack. This is fascinating. So thanks for framing that up. So let's kind of like now talk about a transition point. So you were a Fortune 40 under 40 in healthcare, and all this work that you're talking about, Andre's modest, but- Lots of recognition, lots of impact. You know, now then we move into George Floyd, BLM, COVID pandemic. And these are the things that are happening. Systemic racism, Black bodies being oppressed, killed, COVID pandemic, right? All these things are happening as you're coming out of this arc of your career, right? So first, let's just talk about how you you, as a Black male in the U.S. doing this work were morning processing everything going on like we all were and how did that then lead us to onboard health which we'll talk about
0: yeah yeah let's, let's get into it i mean you know at that point um especially around george floyd i had already kind of transitioned into some sort of entrepreneurial platform and was running pulse and signal um as a strategic consultancy in, in kind of digital strategy and that sort of thing too and you know at that point had made enough of like a dent and a name for myself that, you know, I was there, there's like you mentioned some some accolades and some impact and that sort of thing too. But when the George Floyd murder happened, it was, it was an awakening for me because oftentimes, you know, especially as a black man, as a black man who kind of was raised, you know, by a single mother from another country, right. Um, you know, a lot of what I was instructed to do was to fit in, Um, as a child, you know, I had like a slight British accent for a number of years, you know, I, I just kind of always stood out in a number of different ways. I didn't know a lot of what had historically happened in the country and that sort of thing too, but definitely was experiencing a lot of different things. And I think for me, um, especially from a career perspective, that was the thing that was like really a focus of, of, you know, my, my upbringing was like, if you work really hard and, you know, appeal to who needs to be appealed to you know, you'll be well on your way. And that's not how it works, right? Um, And so for me, over the course of those kind of times, like I was, you know, essentially, you know, the agreeable Negro to be, you know, completely blunt, right? Like, you know, didn't really kind of, you know, make too much of a fuss, Um, you know, was very helpful oftentimes, was very well liked. Um, But when it came to seeing things that I already saw, right, like I mentioned at the beginning of like my, my public health schooling, you know, there were problems, there was, there was, you know, uh, you know, racist infrastructure, there was pretty much overt, you know, exclusionary practices when it came to community health, and all those kind of different things. But it was like, you know, in public health, it's like, oh, well, you know, these communities are dying from and a whole scroll gets pulled out. And that's just the quote, unquote, way it is, right, instead of actually looking at some of the historical aspects um, in this country around exclusion, and, you know, racism, that has actually led us here. So all that to say is when the George Floyd murder happened and there was pretty much the, the global kind of, you know, um, you know, outcry, um, I really had a state of reckoning KP Mm. um, because for me, you know, once again, Kara was a a black man and I never really used my platform to kind of assert uh, the need to really kind of, you know, uh, reassess and to, um, you know, tackle the problems when it relates to, Health inequities and the links to kind of racism and things of that nature. And so, for me as a leader, it was a reckoning around how I show up and authenticity, right? And so, that year, 2020, was pretty substantial for me. You know, and, and, and there's some links around like what happened the year before around literally a mountaintop experience that helped me to start translating how I showed up, not only for myself, um, but for what I was beginning with onboard health.
1: Well, Andre, I just wanna first start by thanking you for being real and for being real in a public on a public platform because what you described, and I don't want to gloss this over because we need to dig into this and I wanna share as well, but you know, what you described being open about how you felt that maybe you didn't use your platforms as much as you should because of this tension of feeling the need to fit in. We this is something that is so important to be shared and talked about openly because so many of us are going through it, not just black men, but people of color, women, people living at different intersectionalities, you know, LGBTQ, and what this comes down to, and, and I want to start with kind of where you started, which is because I have a similar experience with immigrant parents from Ghana. You know, I think what you find, which is interesting, and it takes a specific twist for black people who are Black and of immigrant heritage, is that there's this intersectionality of both race and culture. So I want to unpack this. When your mom is saying, fit in, put your head down, work hard, there's two layers to that. Part of that is, as you inferred, having a British accent as, as a kid and all of that, part of that is saying, fit in culturally to the U.S. so you don't stand out as different, right? And the other part of that is saying fit in from a racial perspective and fit in in that context often can connotate don't cause trouble. Keep your head down. Stay under the radar. Right. And, And, you know, I mean, I think my parents often had a similar frame because they knew being in America as a black male, it is unsafe. That is the issue. Black men who are doing nothing to anybody are getting shot up. So, you know, if you're a parent, they're getting killed. So if you're a parent and you see that, it's self-preservation, protection instincts would lead you to maybe frame how to approach this society in that way, right? And it's just the truth. Like, and this is the truth that is not often spoken of openly and publicly. And I really appreciate you for that. And I think for you to come out and say, look, at some point, you know, we all start thinking, well, we need to do more. And if we're not going to do it, who's going to do it? Right. And I think, you know, so many of us maybe having different, we're each unique in our experience and reflections, but I think so many of us are thinking about how we use our platforms to try to shift something that is just clearly unacceptable. It's one of those kind of situations where at the end of the day, I have to live with myself
0: um, and, you know, with everything kind of, you know, up in flames and so many different ways around us what's the point of what I've built? They're not kind of tackling these issues and things of that nature too, which, which ultimately led me to another level of commitment to my vision, particularly around onboard health and developing, supporting, bolstering leaders um, around opportunities. And these are just the things that I've had a, you know, uh, it definitely wasn't a straight line, but just the fact of understanding, you know, access to opportunities, understanding what the opportunities are And then, especially for those of us, for for people of color and, you know, traditionally marginalized communities, right, just there's a lot of internal navigation that needs to happen um, in order for us to really kind of, you know, take the reins on a lot of these opportunities too. And so that's ultimately like what I want, you know, my legacy to be around as well. And so, yeah, so thank you again for that opportunity. And I feel like at this point, if we're not authentic um, and
1: using our platforms to move this thing forward then, you know, you need to take a step back. So yeah, 100 on that, man. So look, so let's talk about onboard health. So so as we're kind of bridging from these constructs into onboard health, um, maybe you can tell folks a little bit about the origin story and what, and what work you're doing there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, in 2016, I had the amazing opportunity to give uh, the commencement address at my alma mater, the School of Public Health at University of Maryland, Uh, Go Terps. Nice. Um, And it was such a surreal moment for me uh, because I was, you know, as I was standing on stage with the same teachers that spoke into my life when I was younger um, and really convinced me to like move over into this kind of public health space. And now I'm looking out over the sea of students getting ready to graduate. It really started to click into my head around what the workforce was going to need to, A, look like, you know, in order to build a more sustainable and equitable future of health, but also what it was going to need to be equipped with. That was kind of the seeds in my head that were planted around workforce development and you know the the the, the folks who are going to be building the future. And then shortly after that, I was um, invited to be an Aspen Ideas Health Fellow for the Aspen Ideas Conference. And so that that kind of one-two hit combo, being able to see and and connect and commune with people literally from around the globe who are descending on one place to talk about you know building solutions, really got the gears turning in my head around how to build a more diverse and inclusive workforce ecosystem to power an equitable future of health. And that's really how it got started. My daughter uh, was born uh, that December, was already not sleeping. Why not start a new company? There you go.
1: (laughs) Two for two. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Nice. So um, onboard health is um, really leading the charge in many ways in the country in terms of I would say like structurally kind of framing the issue of diversity, equity, inclusion and health equity, but then also helping industry actors think about recruiting, think about culture, think about brand in a way that's intentional and not just box checking. Right. Oh, this is just a thing we do. You know, we need to have diverse teams. So. Just go find me some diverse people and I check the box. Like you're taking it to a whole nother level, right? So, so why don't you talk a little bit about what Onboard Health does?
0: Absolutely. Um, so Onboard Health, you know, once again, you know, before it got started, I had already kind of built a really amazing network of individuals um, all across the country with various skill sets and passions around building the future of health, um, whether that was kind of the social impact space, education, technology and so, essentially, on board, you know, really kind of the, the 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 wording there was really focused on whether or not you have a background in health or healthcare or public health, um, you could apply your skill sets and your energy toward building an equitable future of health. And so, essentially, on one side, uh, we operate as a specialized executive search and talent and culture advisory firm for companies who understand the importance of equity and having an equity lens in the work that they're doing, building the future of health specifically kind of looking at director level all the way up to the C-suite, really getting rid of that narrative around we don't know where to go to find dot, 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 right? I've seen the people, I know the people, they're out there. It's not a pipeline problem. Oftentimes it's a trust and narrative problem, you know? And so that's what we're kind of geared to do. And uh, I, I love just connecting with people. Um, as you know, I'm a people person um, and, and, and community builder. So on one hand, community building um, and making sure that, our three main pillars, connect, equip, and launch, are lived out, and then also operating um, as a talent and culture advisory service. Harkening back to what we were just talking about when it when I was early in my career, and I was just so frustrated why things were ending and yada, 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 what we're really getting into when it comes to health and healthcare are constructs of power, right? You know, if we're looking at like where the power flows, where the influence flows, that's why there's a big focus with us at Onboard Health around leadership in uh, executive search, right? Because once again, once we start being able to shift around like who has power and authority, that's when we can really see uh, the paradigm shifts that we need to have. And and to your point, you know, this is why I'm really excited about you know how we've been instrumental in placing leaders at you know kind of innovative companies and and startups and things of that nature too where. Economic levers are being pulled and, you know, resources are, you know, more or less abundant and there's a fresh take on how we're creating the future of health. And so, you know, for example, just being steeped in the digital health and kind of venture space for so long, wanting to see people, you know, especially people of color and underrepresented and and minoritized communities, understanding that, look, there are opportunities for you to step in with your expertise, being an advisor, being in the C-suite actually impacting the directions and the decisions
1: being made where the money is flowing, right? Those are the kind of things that really kind of bubbled up. Right. No, that's fascinating. So let's talk about the company side. Thanks for that insight there. I was really curious to get your thoughts and as I'm sure others listening. So let's talk about the company side. So let's say there are plenty of companies because, you know, we saw with BLM, George Floyd, everyone was, your, your phones were ringing. Everyone was making statements, doing philanthropic spending, right? And a a lot of us were just sitting waiting for like, is this going to actually be sustained, you know, and probably more skeptical than not for many of us, right? Like around that. So on the company side, now we're a couple years out from all of that. How do you see how companies are trying to address, take on DEI? And the way I want to frame this is, do you see some changes that you feel are going to be sustained? Because I know there are plenty of groups that are intentional, that are willing to invest, even if their teams aren't diverse today, they know and they want to make the efforts to make it better, you know, and there, there's like a whole spectrum of orgs and, you know, there are some that are just not there. But how do you see where we are today with organizations and, you know, what the best practices are with the groups that are trying to actually do this sustainably?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. I think language and definitions were definitely like the first arc of a lot of things that happened, you know, after, you know, black lives matter and George Floyd, a lot of folks were rushing to do a lot of workshops to understand like what, what could be possibly done. And so, you know, what you saw a lot was like unconscious bias training. Right. Mm-hmm. And those things were like, you know, proliferating wildly. Right. Because it was safe enough to say, like, okay, like what words do we need to be using or what words do we need to be avoiding? How do we look at that, you know, in our in our hiring process and things of that nature too? But in healthcare, that can only go so far, right? You know, one of the things that we needed to start tackling was literally looking at anti-racism. And, you know, once again, you cannot innovate and build off on top of a hot mess, right? So there were actually like structural racist aspects of the healthcare system in America. That were being glossed over, and you can't do that if you're actually trying to create change in the industry, right? Once again, there was a period of time in the health 2.0 innovation, you know, life cycle where we we're talking about uh, like breaking healthcare or like fixing healthcare, right? But let's be completely honest: like healthcare was operating the way healthcare was designed to operate from a monetary kind of value perspective, from an exclusionary principle, you know, all those things were those didn't just like happen by chance, right? Like it was literally built into that, so in order for us to actually ask the right questions, like we need to actually look and see like what's actually been done and how to dismantle those kind of different things to rebuild properly. And so I think like phase two was really companies saying, like, okay, right. Like there's the semantics and language and that sort of thing too, but like literally what are we built? Like how are we building into this system? Right. And how do we be very intentional with what goes on? And so, you know, for example, you know, there's um, like a mental health company that we worked with, That you know really got to work, spent a whole year you know working with a DEI consultancy to really kind of look at you know what are the the blind spots, where are the gaps, and really start you know putting together policies and principles to make things happen. And then after that whole kind of assessment was done, then it got to work actually building the people that were actually going to guide you know this forward. And so was really excited to see like how that worked, right? Set the foundational principles. It's not a one-off workshop, right? right. There's, there's people that need to be involved. There's stakeholders that need to be alerted that this is actually the, the core of what the company is going toward. And then actually, you know, shaping the leadership and um, C-suite to reflect the same thing too. And so I'd say like that is, is some of the progress that I saw KP over the past, especially like the past two and a half years are the folks who are saying, you know, we want to kind of, you know, do a checkbox. Uh, We want to say like, okay, we've learned something here and it's on our radar, but let's get back to convenience. And then there's folks who are, you know, bringing us in to really kind of dive deep into finding the right kinds of people that have the right kind of skill sets in order to bring a more kind of equitable vision to life. And so, you know, those are things that are still ongoing. I think currently um, we're starting to see a lot of focus on health equity as the next kind of step. But once again, I still think that there's, you know, opportunities for organizations to understand that there's a difference between, you know, internal, like organizational DEI components and how externally, you know, that works for health equity, right? So even understanding the differences there, this is something that I think we both saw um, over the past few years when, you know, SDOH was hot, right? The social terms of health. Right. But unfortunately, things like that got conflated with poverty, with black people, Right. And, you know, it just became this conglomerate of things that um, was not actually looked at in a proper way. And so I think like right now we're starting to see like we really need to pay attention to these specific aspects of things like health equity and how our organizations are implementing DEI practices as well and making sure that the leadership understands those things so that, you know, this can be uh, successful and sustainable.
1: Right. Let me ask you a question. And I think there's there's a lot in there, but let's kind of unpack the differences between health equity and DEI. So from a diversity and equity inclusion perspective, you've framed up a few things. We've talked about talent and organizational context and those type of movements. You know, even now you find that a lot of people in our industry still don't know the difference. Right. And I'm not I'm not talking about just white people. I'm talking about there's just a lot of people. That in our in our industry that don't understand these constructs, right? Because it's new language. I mean, it's new language being used to describe something that's been around for some time. And then it's, some of it is existing language that's be, been around, that's being kind of redefined. So I would say diversity, equity, and inclusion, those constructs have been around for some time, but they've taken a new weight and context with the given situation that we've talked about over the last few years. And health equity... It's just new language to describe what, for those of us in public health, has been going on for decades, right? These health disparities issues.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, and that's the whole point of Onboard Health, right? I mean, we, we keep seeing the same kind of outcomes year after year. But what I was seeing is that, especially with a lot of the organizations that were going after innovation and technology and amazing new ideas and capital were being deployed, you know, if we're tackling things like food sustainability or chronic disease like type two diabetes. You know, who are oftentimes the communities that are most adversely affected by those negative outcomes, right? And, you know, in order to actually create products and services that are actually speaking to those things, and I can't tell you how many conferences I've been to where, you know, I'm seeing, you know, low adoption rates, or I I don't understand, like, why this is not resonating with this community, or we're actually going to avoid this community because, you know, insert, you know, incorrect um, stereotype, right? Because of, you know, access to technology and yada, 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 we're, we're not actually reaching the right kinds of people. Well, let's actually look at the teams, mm-hmm. right? If, if you don't have anybody on your teams that are reflecting the communities uh, and populations that you're actually serving, and on top of that, you're not co-creating solutions with them, Right, you know, of course it's going to fail, right? And so that was a huge frustration point for me. So, you know, going back to your point with, you know, Dr. Briggs, like, yes, absolutely. Because once again, If your team members don't understand the nuances of the services and the products that you're building and why it's so important to build for all, right, then of course, you know, those those outcomes are going to be strained and ineffective. So starting from there, you know, is is actually,
1: you know, extremely important. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I think also what's underneath that is framing the definitions of these terms internally, right? So... You know, in some cases, you may have someone in an organization that has the title of lead or VP of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in this construct that we're talking about, depending on the job description, that may not infer anything about patient population or consumers or or members or anything. You know, in the current construct, that would just be saying you're, you're covering half of the story, right? So you get that right, but then what happens next right so you know even having that clarity and i'm seeing this when i speak with different organizations across the countries in my own work that that clarity isn't there for every organization yet so and i'm sure people out there understand or are in that issue right now where it's you know you have a role with a title it could be you know director of health equity or it could be director of dei obviously the nuances in the job description but these are things that i'm seeing they're just very practical challenges in the industry right now yeah but but i think like the opportunities that we have kp are like more of the examples
0: that didn't necessarily exist of the leaders that we needed to like really kind of define those roles that didn't exist you know when i was getting started right so now we have you know dr letha maybank over at the center for health equity at am the american medical association which which is a big deal, right? You know, AMA has had, you know, a checkered past in a lot of different ways and, you know, bringing her in to just kind of lead and really define like how this organization is going to lead with an equity lens is, is extremely important. You know, you have, you know, other individuals,
1: you know, like Dr. Lauren Powell. and Yep, and there's Joy Lewis at the American Hospital Association as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and now we're able to see individuals who are tied
0: to like these differences as well. Um, and that's, that's, you know, I think, you know, incredible
1: to, to see. And that really helps us to understand, you know, where things can go. So tell me this, like one thing we're talking about um this season with our guests is, is leadership. You know, we, you know, our health system has to become more equitable in a sustainable way to be, frankly, I mean, useful to our society. Like if our health system can't solve these problems, like it's you know, it's, it's, it's unacceptable, frankly, and that's my own view, you know, but I think a lot of us share that. It's just a passion behind why we do this work. And so when we think about that context, what type of skills, values, leadership approach do you think can actually make a difference in our healthcare system? And then the other layer of that is now bringing that to our BIPOC and diverse populations.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll start with kind of, you know, something that, that like I mentioned before is, is, boldness in having a stance, right. Just kind of getting it, you know, into your spirit that, you know, this is a time for, for, for leaders and for people to have a voice on what needs to change. And then, you know, being able to execute on, you know, a vision, you know, I also feel like, you know, um, so, so that kind of encompasses kind of boldness, right. And just saying like, okay, like, this is the step, this is the problem that I'm solving. And I'm committed to it. The other piece is I'm a big fan of like narrative and storytelling, and I think this is making a, a huge comeback. Um, about a decade ago, I co-founded the Fast Forward Health Film Festival, and being able to see like how narrative and storytelling um, really helped for people to understand problems better and the solutions. I think those are timeless, you know, uh, skill sets: is how to present your idea, how to build a narrative and a story around it, and how to make people feel a certain way around what you're building and solving is, is extremely important as well. And then, you know, finally understanding, you know, the economic levers once again that are at play for, you know, the the problems that you're solving, right? And so I, I would say that and then also, you know, understanding, you know, community building at the same time. I feel like, you know, that is going to be something that people are getting back to is how do they belong, right? We, we hear about that in like DEI and, and belonging, right, mm-hmm. is the other component. And I feel like that's going to be a strong, aspect for leaders um, building the future.
1: Great. Thanks for that. Lots of insights packed in there. Um, So to close out, I ask every guest this question. I love hearing what people have to say, but, you know, why are you, Andre, in on health equity? Why am I
0: in on health equity? I am in on health equity because it is the only pathway toward the solutions that we, um, to to, the problems that we're seeing um, currently. As we build with an equity lens, it only helps to create our own communities uh, stronger and more resilient. And I think, you know, once again, you know, a lot of that was personified in the pandemic and a lot of the folks that we lost oftentimes, you know, because of the health inequities that we've talked about. And in order to prevent that from happening in the future and, you know, aligning with the innovations and the opportunities that we have today, I'm extremely in on, health equity and because of the promises and the opportunities that it brings.
1: Thank you so much for that. Look, really appreciate not only the work you do, but your authenticity and your openness. Really appreciate everything shared today. And I'm wishing you the best of luck. I know we're going to be partnering on a few things. So for my my good friend, Andre Blackman, founder and CEO of Onboard Health, wishing you all the best and all the success. Thank you so much for having me, KP. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for the Inon health podcast. For more information on this guest and other episodes, please go to www.inonhealth.com/podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Inonhealth. Until next time, this is your host KP signing off.